Hey, kid, this is Jonathan Stark, and you're listening to Fright Night Minute. Welcome to Fright Night. <laughs> Welcome to Fright Night Minute, a daily podcast where we discuss the original 1985 horror movie, Fright Night, one minute at a time. I'm Robin. I'm Len. And we want to welcome on this Wednesday, back to the podcast, Father David Mary. So glad to be back. Oh, look at this lovely stained glass window you have here. It, it looks looks lovely. It frames the window. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Uh, yes, it's quite smashing in this minute. Uh, <laughs> oh, oh, oh. This, this is minute 93 of Fright Night. It begins with Amy wanting to be let out and ends with Jerry having no faith in Peter's faith. So we have Peter panicked as Charlie runs down the stairs. Amy's hammering on the locked door. And that panic is going to turn into sheer terror now as Peter ducks as Jerry, or as we see in the freeze frame here, his stuntman, uh, <laughs> leaps through the the mysterious, uh, ever-ponderous stained glass window yeah. that now we'll never have to talk about again. <laughs> <laughs> Take a secret to the stained glass window grave. <laughs> yes. Uh, this is a great stunt, and I'm sure they only had it in this one shot, and so it's like the camera... You know, Tom Holland puts it puts his all into it by ca- capturing it from like four different. It's a great jump, though. Yeah. It really is a great leap through that window. He brings his knees right up. He does, yeah. Uh, yeah, I love I love the stunt, and I love the multiple takes. Yeah, that it gives the impact of it um, without having to yeah reset the shot and try try to do it again. I, and and you know, just speaking from the actor's point of view, I wonder if that's a stuntman for Roddy too, standing in front of the window because I'm sure there was some fear of you know flying glass. Right. I don't know. That looks like him. Huh? It's hard to say. Hmm. Yeah, Roddy McDowell is a consummate professional. Yeah. Yep. This isn't the apes. I guess I'll I gotta stand right here. I was once thrown from a horse. <laughs> <laughs> this is nothing. Uh so and we also get some sort of close up of I don't know why they they chose to stick it in, but it's like the stuntman misses uh Peter's head and goes flying over, and then we see a close up of whatever the decor- decorative thingy on the top of a banister is supposed to be. I don't know what that's called. Right, <laughs> but it's it, it explodes. It. A decorative thingy. Yeah, hmm. I'm pretty sure that's what it's called. <laughs> I'll pass my wife like she's uh, showing off houses. Uh, Look at this decorative thingy. <laughs> A knob or something. I don't know. That's what I call Len. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. hey <laughs> He just absolutely wails on that thing. Thank goodness Peter ducks. His head would have exploded like a melon. Oh, gosh. Maybe that's the effect. Like, Peter's, it, that would have been Peter's head if he didn't duck. That that might be the reason why it was inserted there. It's just so random. It's like one little thing other than, uh, the glass alone would have been uh, amazing. But maybe maybe it wasn't enough. Maybe they're like, well, we'll put this exploding decorative thingy. <laughs> or, excuse me, knob. Uh, <laughs> and then that vault. And they, oh, and they do a great job with it because it's a, it's a practical effect. Yeah. 
It explodes. It looks like they've got a bunch of sand or dust on the inside of something, you know, like uh, ceramic or or clay in order to get that really great shattering effect to make it look like wood dust because, you know, the thing's been hurt, hit with such force. Yeah. And then after, I think, Len, you were going to get into this, the vault uh, of the stuntman. Uh, at first, I wasn't sure if it was a dummy that was just being, <laughs> just being chucked, and then he stands up, you know? I mean, yeah, so, yeah, we obviously can imagine that Chris Rannon is ducked behind there, yeah, yeah. <laughs> waiting for the stuntman or the dummy <laughs> to land. For sure. I would say it's a stuntman only because those hands, I mean, it, there's so oh, yeah, much motion dumb. blur, but the hands move too realistically. Yeah. Like, this guy's arm is, is swinging. I would say it's just, so for he those just listening, like a, we should probably explain that shot a little better. So Jerry Dandridge explodes to the stained glass window, swipes at Peter's head, he ducks, it explodes, and then we get the shot of him sort of flying over probably what's a gap in the staircases. Like the staircase comes up and wraps around. Right. So he sort of flies through the window, it keeps going through the air, and lands behind some other railing, right? Yeah. Which involves a, a, a sharp left turn right. in midair. <laughs> Right. I almost think he like landed and then did this like sick like <laughs> flip side flip or something. Yeah, <laughs> like he was Robin Hood or something. Now, it, oh, Jerry Dandridge used to be on the Transylvania Olympic <laughs> gymnastic team. That's true. It, it, I give the, it an eight. In the movie, it, it never felt. It just it seems pretty seamless and fine. Yeah, it's just a quick bop, bop, bop. But now that we're slowing down and watching it frame by frame, it's really it's so obvious that Chris Sarandon is hiding behind that statue. <laughs> <laughs> just waiting, yeah. you know, just waiting to pop up. It's really silly. Movie magic. You got it, guys. All right, here we go. Uh, My funny. turn. <laughs> uh, and yeah, the, Peter rises, and uh, the fight is on. And he he rises. No, no, but, but oh, first, fight. but first, what does Jerry say here? So, so. <laughs> Okay, so what? Uh, why? <laughs> exactly. It, why? Why does he say so? It's like he's about to launch into another monologue. He's going to tell Peter what how worthless he is, how he can't hope to defeat him. But then he just he just stalks. He just kind of saunters across the carpet. I don't get it. If you think it's, it was a perfectly good opportunity for a villainous monologue here, if you think it's weird that he did that, it is because I can. I looked in the original, the early early draft. And his line is, so just the two of us at last. Oh, yeah. See, that's what I want. I don't know why they decided to cut that part out because he just says so and rises and, <laughs> and then it's just like uh yeah <laughs> yeah so, so uh so <laughs> i don't know yeah, yeah do you want to watch some tv or something <laughs> <laughs> uh and uh there's been some commentaries uh released you know online uh that uh i think it's icons of fright that uh got you know some of the cast to it and uh they do kind of joke that this makeup job, this is a, a real ripoff of John Barrymore as Mr. Hyde, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in the earlier mm-hmm. Universal Monsters. Um, yeah, I haven't, haven't quite mentioned that, that fact yet, but so... 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 <laughs> but but you know, did you notice that the makeup changes as he's walking across the shot? No. So, so you look at him at like second 21... Uh-huh. And, you know, there's there's, you know, you can you can see Chris Sarandon in there. You, you see you have the teeth and, and the makeup and so on. But then it cuts to Peter and then the 
spot. He's got much more detail on his cheekbones. He's more gaunt. The teeth are more protruded. The bottom lip is coming out a little bit more. He's got some kind of junk going on his forehead and there's no attention called to it. So I, I think they looked at the makeup and wanted to make him a little more monstrous, make him a little more intimidating for this direct confrontation shot. Yeah, this is, this is the big, this is a big part of the movie right here. This is, this is a pretty classic scene and I'm sure, you know, he said, so, and then Tom Holland went cut. Lunchtime, and, and Chris Sarandon was like, "I, I had, a, I had a line there. Full exit. <laughs> All he used to say is so. We get what he's saying. So, and then makeup. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. After he's trying to eat his ham sandwich around his vampire oh, teeth, gosh. and they need to do a little touch-up job. <laughs> Uh, so Charlie runs back to the staircase from downstairs because I'm sure he heard a gigantic smash. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Peter, uh, keeping his eyes on Jerry, tells uh, Charlie to stay back. Oh, yes. I wrote one word in my notes, and I was briefly puzzled by this. I wrote Ben, <laughs> which, because uh, I'm reminded of Star Wars here. This is Luke Skywalker mm-hmm. seeing Obi-Wan about to face down Darth Vader. Ben? <laughs> and uh ben kenobi yeah and then it happens uh so the vampire jerks to a halt staring with slowly dawning fury at peter realizing by whatever invisible force it's emanating from that cross that indeed peter has recovered his faith oh wait that was that's later yeah i that, that's a little later. In in this Oops. minute, he he puts his his hand up, kind of out of reflex. That oh, it's a cross. I should be scared of those. But then he doesn't feel the whatever you know nauseating power that vampires feel when they see crosses. Yes, the, and I love the uh, I love the little chuckly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's funny because we've had this like deeply modulated voice but right here is a little bit of Chris Sarandon that kind of peeking out from behind all those teeth right and uh, yeah that's where he says you have to have faith for that to work Mr. Vincent remember and uh, we were going over these minutes and thinking to ourselves who do we invite to talk about these minutes and yeah this is uh, this is your area where, 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 what do you get from this all right. So let, let's just start with rules of fiction. So if you're making a vampire story, you get to make up whatever rules about vampires you want. You know, do your vampires sparkle in sunlight? Are they repelled by crosses? You know, whatever well, you, the rules you want to make up to to is fine. You know, What's that, Robin? Uh, I don't know what you're talking about. That's a perfectly normal thing that vampires do. Everyone knows that. Now, anyway. Uh, uh but my my question to you, and I, I alluded to this yesterday, so the cross from Peter works on Amy. The cross earlier in the movie scarred Evil Ed when he is a vampire. Yeah. So how how are the rules being applied here? It seems inconsistent. In some scenes, it seems like Peter has enough faith to handle kind of low-level vampires, but you need to have extra faith to deal with a high-level vampire like Jerry, but that's not really made clear. It's not explained at all in the rules of the movie. That's just me coming up with a theory. No, I'd say you're um, right. I, that's how I've always taken it, is that, yeah, the, the head vampire in all these vampire tales requires a little extra oomph. 
Yeah, and that's that's interesting to me because you would think lower level vampires mm. are more human than vampire. They haven't fully gone over, right. and humans are not naturally repelled by crosses. Well, not most of them, anyway. <laughs> sure. uh, and so you would think that you know because they're more human, they wouldn't be a, be affected by the cross as much because they're not fully vampire. But anyway, so that this is me just trying to figure out the consistency of the rules. Now, you know, that being said, so why is it that crosses repel vampires? This is a classic of the, the vampire genre going all the way back to Bram Stoker's Dracula, uh, and it's been a staple of the genre. Um, from my study of it and my understanding of it, just in terms of the symbolism, now if we go back to, to Bram Stoker's Dracula, what repels Dracula specifically is a crucifix. So a cross is the, the simple piece of wood that Peter has in this scene where you have a, yeah. a vertical and a horizontal bar across it. A crucifix is a image of Jesus Christ on the cross, right. and it's the uh, image that uh, we saw earlier in the film where Jerry very contemptuously just crushed the whole thing in Peter's hands because he has to have faith <laughs> for that to work. <laughs> um, now, the, the crucifix and the cross in the understanding of the symbolism here, repels vampires because the vampire is a kind of anti-Christ figure. The vampire, instead of uh, giving life by shedding his blood for others, sucks the blood of others in order to gain life for himself. Instead, so so the vampire sucking the blood of others is a mockery of the Catholic understanding of the Eucharist, where in that sacrament, Christ shares his very body and blood with the church in order to incorporate us, that is, you know, it, make us part of his own body. The vampire is, is the dark, twisted mockery of that, where he takes in others' blood for his own benefit, not for his victims. Right. Um, likewise, the vampire enjoys a kind of twisted life beyond death, but one that survives based on taking from others, whereas Christ, risen from the dead, dies no more. He enjoys a life beyond death that comes not from taking from others, but from a radical act of self-giving, giving his very body on the cross for all of humanity for the forgiveness of sins. So, Bram Stoker, good Catholic that he was, as the good Irishman that he was, knew and understood the inherent uh, antithesis between the crucifix and the vampire, for the crucifix is the very manifestation of all that the vampire is opposed to, the image not just of a human being giving his life, but God himself giving everything on the cross for humanity. Now, all right, so all all that is all well and good. Now we get to this question of faith, for the faith being necessary for the thing to work. And, you know, this is where I I go back to my first encounter with Fright Night in that book, Some Wither. In this discussion, um, one of the characters says uh, to another, here, take my crucifix, Uh, it'll protect you against, you know, the vampire. And this other character says, well, I I don't believe in Christ. I don't worship Christ. What good is that crucifix going to do me? And someone says, well, where did you hear that nonsense? He says, oh, from a movie called Fright Night. <laughs> and and then this this other character says, well then the filmmakers were in the pay of the vampires. <laughs> and 
So uh, the the argument being made in Fright Night is that there has to be some kind of internal subjective belief in the power of the cross. Now, it, it's not delved into whether this is some kind of like... Um, Oh, what's the analogy? Oh, something like from like D&D, how like a cleric in Dungeons and Dragons, no matter what holy symbol he or she might have, is able to turn undead. Um, so if, is it the faith or is it the faith in the cross specifically? That's not made clear. My kind of you know, like Catholic contention when I fight real vampires as a Catholic priest uh, <laughs> is that the, the cross has power. And then the Catholic Church sees the crucifix as a holy symbol because it points to an objective historical event that in Jesus Christ, God took on human nature, walked our walk, talked our talk, died our death, and then rose again on the third day. The cross itself is a symbol of faith, not because of anything that an individual believes, but because it represents and points to an event. And through that uh, small symbol of the event, some grace, some divine presence is communicated. Uh, It's why, as a Christian, I have great reverence for the name of Jesus. That When I was in high school, I was a real bummer to my friends because I would not allow them to to use the name of Jesus as a curse word. Uh, And, you know, surprise, surprise, I then became a priest. Uh, (laughs) But it's because the name even though uh, it it, it you know, seems to us just a, a sound or you know something that you know, evokes something, the name itself bears Christ's presence into that moment. That to call on the name of Jesus is to make Jesus present in that moment. And the cross operates in the same way. That it's not just a symbol, not just a reminder, but something about the cross, something about the crucifix, makes that mystery of God's self gift for us present. So, that all being said, you know, in the vampire movie I'm going to make, the crucifixes will work no matter who holds it. Anyway, and I think that actually is, that goes all the way back to Bram Stoker. Um, we, uh, very early in the book, uh, uh, the Protestant Jonathan Harker, who's our kind of main point of view character throughout the novel, uh, receives a rosary from a very pious Catholic woman. Now, Jonathan Harker is a very stuffy British Protestant who views kind of all this Catholicism and popery as so much medieval nonsense. But because he's also an English gentleman, he doesn't want to insult the lady. So he takes the rosary and allows her to, to put it around his neck. And even though he has that skepticism, even though he has that um, inherent distaste and kind of disbelief in the power of the crucifix, Later in the book, when when Dracula kind of goes in for the kill, he sees the cross and he he shrinks back from it. So um, that I think captures the the Catholic imagination better than uh, what Fright Night gives us here. So it, there's there's something uh, so close. It's 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 not quite what I would want to see from from a vampire movie. Uh, right, but do you think so? This is the, so. Let me explain our debate in, in a nutshell. For, sure. I, I I I tend to agree with everything you just said, and maybe in the defense of this film, or maybe because I wasn't raised Catholic, I was raised in a first Baptist and then Pentecostal church when I was young. I almost took mm-hmm. his. 
exactly what you said. The cross points to an event, and it should mm-hmm. scare all vampires. But let's say this: the these older vampires, like Jerry Dandridge or the, the father vampires, whatever the heck we want to refer to them as. Uh, we'll have to ask Tom Holland. But it's almost like the way that you have to accept Jesus into your heart to be saved. It's the same way you have to have faith. You have to take that step further. It's one thing to sort of just believe, but against true evil, you have to kind of take it the step further. Anyway, really the debate was, and that is, I mean, that's tricky. That that part of it is tough. But the, the debate that we were having was, for Robin, he thought maybe, could you have faith in anything? Could you hold up a teddy bear and just have <laughs> faith that that would scare the vampire away? And he's not the only one. We've had plenty of guests that seem to agree with that theory. I'll, I'll, it's you that uh, George Hendricks uh, proposed that maybe if you hold a CVS receipt up and be like, <laughs> really have faith in the CVS receipt that is going to have the power to repel his vampire, it will re- repel the vampire because you have faith in it. Right. But my argument <laughs> has been, I think the vampire mythos is wrapped up with theology. It's wrapped up with the Christian-based faith, right? So they're, they go hand mm-hmm. in hand. To me, you can't really have... Uh, I mean, you can. You can have a vampire story without a hint of Christianity in it, but to me, it just wouldn't be the same. You know, in some ways, it's a Christian myth. It's a Christian villain. Just like, I, I, I don't know. That, that's the way I feel yeah, about so, it. Yeah, so just to say a word about faith. So... We in in our in our contemporary setting, we tend to have this definition of faith that is entirely subjective. That if we talk about someone having faith, we we use it in this way of talking about belief, and you know, in the most pejorative sense, we we use it in this way of talking about blind belief, just kind of believing in 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 uh, contradiction to any available evidence. You know, so hence the joke about the CVS receipt. <laughs> right. uh, that if I if I just really blindly believe that the CVS receipt is going to repel the vampire, then it will. Yeah. And you know, to that I would say that faith as as a word is something that has a subjective dimension. It refers to something subjective. Yes, I believe something, therefore I have faith. But there's also an objective side to it, that I have faith in something. And uh, from where I stand, that something outside of me has to exist first. There has to be something that exists for me to have faith in in the first place in order for me to come to this subjective belief. So there's you know, no reason to believe believe that a CVS receipt is going to be an effective anti-vampire uh, device. The the cross as a symbol of Jesus's self-gift, his sacrificial death on the cross, that is something that I can trust, something that has shown itself to be powerful, something that has shown itself to be an expression of the divine. And so that elicits an act of faith for me. I put my trust in it. Um, there's a um, one of the the main authors of the the latest edition of the Catholic uh, Catechism that was published back in 1993, Cardinal Schoenburn, uh, German uh, Archbishop and Cardinal, mm. s- said that a better way to understand faith rather than belief is to look at it in terms of trust. And, and trust is always a two-way street, that I trust in you because you have shown yourself to be trustworthy. You know, if, if um, you know, you say, oh, yeah, 
Father, I will pick you up at 8 o'clock to drive you to the airport. And then if you drive up at 8.05 and you see me getting into a taxi, well, then there's no real trust in that relationship. Uh, you know, things are off to a kind of a rocky start here. And so there, there's more than just you know, my own subjective trust. There's a relationship there. You know, faith is the word that religious people use to talk about their trust in their relationship with God. And a relationship always involves inherent someone outside of myself that I put my trust in, and that person is either trustworthy or not. The cross then becomes this sign of faith, that is, a sign of trust, a sign that manifests the trustworthiness of God, that God can confront the powers of evil, uh, and even, even if it's a symbol of weakness, a symbol of a man defeated who is being tortured to death, even that I can trust in the face of an evil like the very dapper Jerry Jandrich. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah, so I, I think just subjective faith, blind belief on itself, it's not enough. You know, the object of belief, what I believe in, has to be worthy of that, has to have proven itself trustworthy. Yeah, so you couldn't just believe in a CBS receipt because that would be pretty ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> At least not not as reliable as you know uh, the the fact that this cross has worked in uh, vampire mythology for you know many many stories. Right, <laughs> right, and and that that goes back to the the kind of postmodern uh, take on vampire stories that Fright Night gives us. You know, all the vampire tropes that you've seen in the movies and the stories they're all true. Yeah, <laughs> and and me. Media savviness is able to save the day because of one's awareness of narrative and tropes and stories. Charlie and Peter, who is a TV actor, and Charlie, who is a TV consumer, are able to defeat the vampire. Right, right. Yeah, and that was uh, that was Tom Holland's uh, original idea. The fact that a horror movie fan would all of a sudden, you know, see a, va- a, a vampire moves next door to a horror movie fan, and just you know how that would be. Yeah. Um, I feel like we're going to continue this conversation into the next minute because, unfortunately, it, it does kind of cut in between um, uh, the big moments here. Now, things do not look good for Peter. Yeah. Oh, no. I will say that we have the first jump scare for uh, vampires uh, at the end of this minute, uh, which is the sun starting to rise behind him. But, you know, it, that's only for vampires that are watching the movie and rooting for Jerry. Like, oh, my God, behind you! <laughs> <laughs> Don't go in there. <laughs> but uh, as for this minute, I think we can wrap up uh, before we get to the big moment and uh, we'll be talking about tomorrow. Uh, uh, Father Mowry, thank you. I, I, I I'm so uh, impressed with uh, all the information we've got in, yeah. in this one. This is a, this is a great chat. It's and, great. And this is going to be fun to talk about tomorrow, too. Uh, do you want to uh, let people know where they can find you? Uh, you can find me bombing around a number of uh, Facebook groups of Movie by Minutes. Uh, I spend most of my time in the Star Wars Minute Listeners Society, but uh, you can also find me in the, the master group of the, the Movies by Minutes Makers and Listeners group. Uh, to, uh, feel free to chat me up there. Awesome. Uh, as for us, let's put a stake in this one. Uh, please follow us on Twitter at Fright Night Men. Send your feedback to Fright Night Minute at gmail.com. And please rate, review, and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. And until next time, I'm Robin. I'm Boba Fett. 
Uh, someone, can someone get a broom, please? There's just there's glass all over the floor, and I'm worried about someone getting hurt. I think I saw John McClane walk by. <laughs> you better watch out. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Have a bright night, everyone. He's a vampire. A what? <laughs> You're so cool, Brewster. <laughs> <laughs>